looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeastern by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell. And I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth, 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 I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. I'm one crazy new Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. This is Dr. Tom Pritchard, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Don't miss it. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, 
Croc, Jonathan Steele. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we had an opportunity to check out, or maybe not so lucky to check out, the Ric Flair last match pay-per-view on Fight TV, depending on your point of view. But we're going to give a little bit of that right now. I'm with Mr. Evan Ginsberg, wrestling coast to coast. Evan, how are you? Um, I'm recovering from uh, the weekend's wrestling, um, the tractor fiasco at SummerSlam, (laughs) (laughs) and the sad spectacle that, that was Ric Flair's final match as a huge, huge Ric Flair fan. It was painful. Yeah, uh, we're not going to dive into match by match breakdown. Uh, if you want to do that, go see those guys like Wade Keller and Meltzer and all those guys. No disrespect to them, but that's what they do on a full time basis. But I will say before we talk about the last match and Flair in general, probably overall from what I saw, the best match of the night would have been the four way lucha match from representing triple a would you agree with that absolutely nothing touched it that was an excellent match phoenix is you know phenomenal and uh all three of the other guys were great and it was non-stop action great moves uh you know those, those guys are the cream of the crop and it stole the show i mean there was nothing that touched it um most of the undercard was unnecessarily rushed. Um, some of it was solid, but nothing special. I, I've seen the Briscoes dozens and dozens of times live with Ring of Honor in New York City. And frankly, it was one of the worst Briscoes matches I've ever seen. The Von Erics, you know, looked like a million dollars, but I don't know, it just didn't click and they didn't seem particularly charismatic. It was all Briscoes, and uh, it's very rare for me to be disappointed by a Briscoe match. So um, it was what it was. I, I don't think they need to replay the same promos three times and cut really solid matches and strong matchups down to five, six, seven, eight minutes. It, it was a rush job for the most part. And uh you know, so the undercard, with the exception of the Lucha match and the opening match with uh, the Wolves, uh, um, you know, it was pretty disappointing, honestly. Yeah, but the moneymaker of the night was the tag team match being Flair and Andrade versus Jarrett and, uh, I'm sorry, Jay Lethal. I was having a brain fart there. But with that being said, and I would say I was feeling bad for Jarrett, Andrade, and Lethal in a sense of those guys probably had so much pressure on them to try to carry out such a spectacular match because, well, Flair was disappointing in a match, unfortunately. And, but also going in, I should preference that by saying I wasn't expecting 
flair from, say, the 80s and 90s, maybe even into the early 2000s. I wasn't expecting Flair to be what we remember of him. But at 73, it just it wasn't going to work. And we saw bits and pieces of that. There was a report that said that he actually passed out during the match, which I know you saw. So where's your head when it comes to this match overall? Let me, let me preface it by saying um, some of the best nights of my life was seeing Ric Flair in Philly, Baltimore, um, Nassau Coliseum, pre-WWF. Um, as the NWA champion, the NWA top challenger, whatever the case may be. Um, I rank Flair among the five greatest wrestlers of all time and among my five favorite wrestlers of all time. And I'm attending 48 years and watching 50 years around the world. And uh, Flair Steamboat is my favorite match of all time. Flair Wyndham is in my, Barry Wyndham is in my top 10 matches of all time. The war games were classics with the horsemen. Um, so I want to just say that I have nothing but respect for Ric Flair, the wrestler. But, but this was a sad, sad spectacle. He didn't look right walking in the ring. I don't know if it was a weekend of exhausting, nonstop promotion and, and fan meetups. And, you know, the guy's 73. Most 73-year-olds are at the senior center get, getting a $2 lunch and playing bingo or whatnot, you know? So he, he had a full weekend even leading up to the match. Okay, so here's my point that I've made repeatedly. And, you know, we, we're all getting some heat for being honest, but... Mil Mascaris is currently wrestling at age 80. Mm -hmm. Here's how it works. He has six-man tag team matches. He comes in for three or four minutes, somewhere in the middle of the match. He does his signature spots. They sell for him like they're getting murdered. And, and that's it. It's smoke and mirrors. He's protected by everybody in there. He's getting a payday. The fans are happy to see him. That's what should have happened. Instead, you know, Flair has a champion's ego. And I'm not saying it be negative, but he wanted to be the center of the match. And unfortunately, the 73-year-old body was not capable. It looked like all his signature spots, with the exception of, you know, the Ray Stevens flip, you know, into the uh, turnbuckle, whatever you would call that, that he obviously couldn't do. But everything else was there, but in ultra slow motion. It was, it was painful. And even the finish, and it's not a spoil because it happened days ago already. His, his shoulders were flat on the mat. Like, like he didn't have the energy to raise his shoulders. So, you know... It was, it was really kind of pitiful. And, you know, Terry Funk did 37 retirements and comebacks, but he was still good. That's the difference. That's the difference. I was going to say with Terry, at least he, you weren't expecting him to 
do certain things. He adjusted with his age and mobility and, and did what, you know what I mean? He tried to adjust based on as he got older and the physicality and such flair. It's like, and they made a mention on the commentary there uh, early on. I think it was Shivani that said Jay lethal knows what flair can and can't do, which was a big hint. Not that anybody who don't watch and know the history weren't expecting. Like I said, when I started, I wasn't expecting flair of his heyday because he's 73 and it's been years since he's been there and all. So what I, I was, was disappointed. What I was expecting was for him to come out, do the strut, do the woo, do the chops, uh, do the figure four in a brief, but you know, powerful segment. Again, three, four, five minutes. The no mascarous treatment. Exactly. And and that was their opportunity. Smoke and mirrors. Look, um, over the years, Randy Savage had terrible, you know, knees and whatnot. And and smoke and mirrors made made him when he was older look better than, you know, there's ways to do this. These are top, top-notch pros. I mean, those other three guys are, you know, as good as it gets. Jarrett was amazing. Look how um, good he looked at 55. Yeah, Jay Lethal is great and actually yeah. underrated. And Andrade is tremendous in spite of WWE squandering him. So they had the opportunity to turn this into a great match a nostalgic match, um, and, and, you know, Flair was just in it much, much too long. And, you know, it, it, it was really very painful for a huge fan, and I should say fans because there were millions of us, to, to watch this. And, you know, and it's, and let, let me just say this. It's not meant as disrespect. Uh, again, some of the best nights of my life was seeing Ric Flair live. Best nights of my life. And th- those Philly NWA shows in the uh, 1980s, not the WCW latest shows in the 90s, the Philly and Baltimore NWA shows were, were, were magic, magic. And, and Flair was unbelievable. Flair, and, and, and let me let me say this. Since, you know, some of this is critical, let me say the other side. For the people that do the, Flair had the same match every night of the week. That's absolute bullshit. Absolute bullshit. When he was in there with an El Gigante, it was certainly a different match than when he was in there with a Brad Armstrong. Trust me. When he was in the, in the war games, a tremendous bloody brawl. It was a different match than when he was in there with Ricky Steamboat. You know, every wrestler does certain signature moves. You know, he was in there 30, 45, 60 minutes. So, of course, he's going to do some of the same moves. But don't tell me it was the same match every night. You know, the fanboys watch their 5,000 shoot interviews, and, and they pick up on something, and they repeat it ad nauseum. And to them, it's the truth. I was there every month. Every month, I made the effort of traveling from New York to Philadelphia. It's not around the corner. It was two and a half, three hours. 
because that's how great Flair was. If it was the same match every night, I would not have done it. And when WCW took over in the early 90s and it wasn't nearly as good, I stopped taking that trip. Flair was amazing in his prime. And uh, you can't rewrite history and take that away from him. But at the same time, you can't go in there deaf, dumb, and blind and say that match the other night was a great match. No. You know, even, even if you were there, you know, and you had that nostalgic feel to it. There's Flair walking down the aisle. The second he took off that robe and that belt, he looked like an old guy down at the gym or the senior center. And, and it's not ageism because I'm no kid myself. But, you know, at some point you have to know. And let me let me let me end my my monologue diatribe with this because I, I want to let you talk, of course, also. Um, they've had matches in Japan, Dory Funk Jr. and Luthez. You know, John Tolis came in. He he was pushing seventy. You know, this has been done before, but but it's been done where it showcased what they had, not what they lost. This mm -hmm. showed how much he had lost. And it, it was a sad thing to watch. You could spin it every which way. You know, that was not a great, those chops, you know, it looked like, you know, a three-year-old, you know, playing with his kids in the backyard. It, it was grim. It was really grim. And I said that about my three-year-old nephew. I probably could have shown him to throw a better chop. Well, there you go. It, and Flair was known for his chops. But the one other negative thing I want to bring up when it comes to the other night, and I would say it's been known for years, at least when it comes to Rick, is a potentially negative ego. Or I, I, I should say negative ego, but the ego in general, where he's always been the world revolves around him. Like we saw, I guess it was last year or so, for example, trying to sue WWE because of the whole Becky Lynch demand thing. And, you know, there's just certain things throughout the years where it's the world revolves around Rick, but yet, and we were giving him his credit. He was one of the best to do what he did, but there's just the other side of things that's like his ego seems so fragile, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Would you agree with that? I don't know him personally, but uh, no, this is just what you see outside. Yeah, looking. At some point you have to say I'm 73 years old. I could be an ambassador for this sport. I can, um, you know, Vince, I mean, he's gone now, but Vince always had his guys, Fred Blassie and Tony Guerrero and Pat Patterson. These guys had lifetime jobs representing the company in different capacities, you know, in, in his own way, like every school principal in the world, he had, he had a good list and a bad list. And if you were on the good list, you had a job for life. There, there's many things that, that Rick Flair could do in this industry at age 73. But uh, getting in the ring and, and embarrassing yourself, you know, is not is really shouldn't be an option. And I'm telling I'm telling you, I, I, 
you know, again, I saw Terry Funk retire, unretire, retire, unretire. <laughs> you know, six months or a year from now, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna do the math. They had nine hundred ninety nine dollar merchandise packages. They had two hundred dollar, you know, viewing packages. Somebody's gonna do the math and say this is a gold mine, and you know, maybe bring him and Hogan back or what or whatnot. Somebody's gonna smell money, and um, you know. He, he obviously didn't see what we saw, and a lot of people didn't view it the way we're viewing it. And if he looked at this as some kind of triumph, and financially it may have been, you know, and I'm sure the vibe in the building was good. You know, there were legends there and old friends, and it had the nostalgia factor. But ultimately, it was not a great card, and it certainly was not a great main event. So, um, you know... If he comes back again, it, it, it's only going to... Another shot to the legacy. It had a requiem for, 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 for a heavyweight feel to it. You know, and for those who don't know it, it it's a Rod Serling uh, screenplay where a former boxer, you know, his, his career is over and, and he's demeaning himself, you know, as a low-level wrestler. And, uh, you know, you want to remember your heroes is great. Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood in his 90s is still making quality movies. That's the difference. It's not about the age. It's about the performance. The last three or four Clint Eastwood movies where he's playing elderly characters, you know, particularly Gran Torino, which is a, which is a classic. Love the movie. But even the, the last two or three, you know, were, were excellent, excellent films. And, and he, he fit the part and, and they were quality. And you walked out feeling good having seen it. You didn't walk out feeling bad, okay? And, and you know, I, I, I woke up the next morning and the thing just, it just felt sad. It, it's like I woke up thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You didn't wake like if you go to a great concert and some of the performers could be in their 70s, 80s, 90s, it doesn't matter. Right now, right now, in their 80s, Smokey Robinson, okay, George Clinton, Bobby Rush. And they're guys in their 80s that come out every night and kill. They're still great. Difference. That's the difference. For a perfect example, uh, on the music front, I just recently saw the Eagles. And a lot of those guys are in their 60s and early 70s. Exactly. And, and, but they killed it. Exactly. And, uh, you know, Buddy Guy is 85. Right? You know, and if you still got it, you still got it. And, but if you don't have it, you know, do something else and, and don't diminish your legacy. Because ultimately, people are going to remember, you know, painful it was painful. Not the belabor of points. Not the belabor of points. Well, I want to do one more negative thing. And I thought about this as you were answering there. And obviously, StarCast and the event Sunday was promoted by Conrad Thompson, who had the rights to Jim Crockett promotions and everything. Yeah, you know, he was the force behind the whole weekend of festivities. And so I'm thinking 
normally, who would it be to say, Rick, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this? Because obviously family was involved with Conrad being his son-in-law, Andrade being another son-in-law. So who should it have been to say, maybe this is not a good idea? Besides, yeah, the business may have been good, like you said, the different tiers of things. But shouldn't who would have been responsible to go, hey, Rick, I don't know about this. Whoever, whoever his best friend or friends are, you know, Rick, it's not a good idea. You could get hurt. You could, you could have a heart attack. You could diminish your legacy. You know, we understand you love being out there. We understand, uh, you know, it's a great payday. We understand you like being the center of attention, but it's just not a good idea. And you know, the right people will tell you the truth. And, um, you know, who, I, I'm sure the people involved had good intentions. Yeah. You know, this will make Rick happy. This will set him up financially. This will, uh, you know, give him one last shot of glory. But I'm not convinced it's the last shot. I'm not convinced. Hogan had to watch that and go, Somebody will pay me a million dollars to do the same thing. <laughs> and what if they go, hey, Hogan Flair? <laughs> what, what it, I mean, at some point, you got to call it a day. Um, what, whatever, the, whatever the job is, if you're an educator and you have Alzheimer's, you know, maybe you can't you know, stand in front of a classroom anymore. If you're a dancer and you have arthritic knees, maybe you can't dance anymore. If you're a singer and your voice is shot, maybe you can't sing anymore. I mean, there just comes a time where you have to be honest to yourself and, and call it a day. That was not pretty. That was really um, disheartening. And, uh, you know, there are people that said it and there are other people, you're being disrespectful to a legend. You know, you couldn't do that at 73. Yeah, of course, I couldn't do that at 73, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do something at 73 that made people go, oh, my God, you know, that he, he was so much, so much better back in the day. And this didn't need to happen. Exactly. But on the positive note, Woodrick, let's throw a little positivity there. And it's been sprinkled in during our little bit of a conversation here. But like I said, Rick, I wasn't expecting Rick's heyday, but is there a particular year or several years you would say were his heyday? Because for somebody my age, let's just say, at going to be 38 at the end of the week, I think of when he went from WCW to work for Vince and the time period, I'd say between Survivor Series 91, when he interfered in the title match Hogan Taker, to the 92 Rumble into WrestleMania 8 with his feud with Savage. Also, you know, that, like that's the first that stands at that time period. But also, I was, I'm old enough to remember the uh, Series of Three with Steamboat. But obviously, they worked together for years prior to that so what would you say his top uh moments are 
Flair's heyday was the 1980s in the NWA. He was not the same guy in, in WWE. He was still excellent, but he was not the same performer. In the 1980s, you know, again, I would go see him every month in Philly, literally every month. And this guy could, could work with a broomstick. He could make anybody look good. And when you had him in there with somebody great, somebody equal or close to equal, like a uh, Ricky Steamboat or a um, Barry Windham, um, the guy was magnificent. Uh, How about Dusty? Him and Dusty had great matches. I, I saw Flair and Harley Race have have classics live. Um, I mean, you know, th th these were these were the uh, top top guys in the world. And uh, what you noticed in WWE, if he wasn't in there with the right guy, you know, it wasn't quite what it had been a decade earlier. But um, this guy that. I'm associate producer on a film called 350 Days. Flair, Flair actually worked three, he's not in the movie, but he worked 350 days a year as NWA champion. At some point, when you hit your 40s and 50s, like he was in WWE, you know, your body is going to slow down. But in the 1970s and 80s, that, that guy was magnificent, magnificent. Just him walking down the aisle with the music and the robe and the belt was so exciting. I mean, the, the place popped. That, he, had, he had enough charisma to pop a crowd walking down the aisle, not doing anything, just walking into the ring. So to see him uh, at 73, it was just brutal, brutal. I'm sorry. Spin it any way you like. I'm as big a fan of Flair as anybody. And every month I spent money, good money to see the guy taking trains and, you know, Amtraks. So it's not that I haven't supported him either, you know, but um, that was rough the other night, rough. Well, as a final thought to put a bow on this, and I want to try to stay positive and leave the other night out of it, for my opinion, anyway. But what are, what is your overall thoughts of Rick as far as when you look at his reg legacy and career? What what do you think of the whole kick caboodle? Um, <laughs> you have to separate the artist from the flawed human being. We, we know some of the negative allegations outside of the ring. You know, so that, that really does, you know, some, some of my heroes like a uh, James Brown, if, if you watch Get On Up, his, his biography, uh, his biopic, you know, the guy beat his wife, you know. So James Brown was still the, probably the greatest performer to ever step foot on a stage. So whatever Flair's flaws are as a person outside the ring, which has been widely, you know, publicized and I don't need to repeat it all. Um, in the ring, 
this guy was as great as anybody, as great as anybody. And you can say he borrowed from Buddy Rogers, he borrowed from Ray Stevens. So what? They all borrowed from somebody. Everybody. The Undertaker. People don't even know this. There was an indie tag team called the Undertakers. Vince actually hired them. Okay? So that, that all-time great gimmick was taken from an indie tag team. From an indie tag team. People borrow. Okay? And um, in ring. In ring, I I put Flair on that Mount Rushmore top four all-time wrestlers, all-time great performers, all-time great gimmicks, all-time great total packages, gimmick, promos, wrestling, charisma, talent, brawling, bleeding, wrestling. The man could wrestle. Top four, Mount Rushmore. What do you think? Obviously, a lot of that I agree with in terms of bell to bell. He was one of the best. Whether you go technical, he did some brawling. And we said this a little bit with, like, say, a Terry Funk coming out of a steamboat feud. When he did, you know, there was a little bit of brawling. So when he was, when Rick was Rick, I should say. He was obviously a Mount Rushmore guy, like you said. And I know people have been talking about this the past couple of years in terms of Mount Rushmore of guys. When people rap, say like Taker or Hogan or Flair or whatever the case is, Michaels. And so everybody's opinion is subjective it, you know, because wrestling is not say like I'm a big baseball guy where you can go and look at somebody's statistics and say, all right, so-and-so hit 295. They did this, they did that, you know, where you can look at statistics on a book. So with that being said, everybody's opinion of whether it be flair or whoever can be subjective. It's all but, subjective. An 80 year old guy could say Buddy Rogers was ex better. Exactly. Everybody's we. The best thing I heard and, to sit to state that is I heard it was a uh, Michael PS Ace back in the day, WWE had a uh, round table show on a precursor to the network. And they were, you know, all talking about like legendary matches and figures. Flair might've even been on that panel. And what Michael was saying was, you know, you could get 5, 10, 20 guys, 20 of the best guys to sit down and say, all right, what are the best, who are the best talents? Who are the best matches? You know, pinpoint everything. And a lot of the same guys' names will be kicked around. A lot of the same matches might get kicked around. But it, everybody's going to have a different opinion at that table. But I would certainly think that Flair has to be easily top five when you look at his credential and he, and he has to be on that Mount Rushmore if we're going top four as you mentioned so I realized that going into the other night but it was I wanted to see what was going to be going on so obviously I did 
in some ways, I think it's a shot for his ego, but also hurts the legacy if you're basing solely on that. But when we look at his heyday as going for the NWA championship, NWA champion, and for me, even that first WWE run in the early 90s, that is his heyday. Now, obviously, like you said, when he came back in his 40s and 50s after WCW closed, depended on who he worked with. I thought he was great as a manager or a elder statesman for guys like Triple H and Batista and all when they did the evolution run. Yeah, I thought that was good because he could teach and pass on to the next generation. But, you know, I just kind of wish that somebody stepped in, you know, like you said, whether a best friend or whoever to. A doctor. doctor. This isn't safe, Rick. Because here's the thing. And he did survive it anyway. Yeah. uh, Because here's the thing with that. When you say doctors. And I know leading up to it, they were talking about, well, I got approved by my doctors because of the pacemaker and this and that is health scared a couple of years ago. But it's like, how many doctors did you go to till you heard the answer you wanted to hear? Or, or if he indeed passed out, which has been, <laughs> there are allegations, if he indeed passed out, then obviously what you're doing is not safe and good for you at that age. I mean, if I go to the gym and I'm not a kid, I don't expect to pass out. So obviously it was too much for him if, if that was indeed the case. Um, look, I, I love Ric Flair and uh, I hope nobody misinterprets this. No. Two guys, you know, mocking somebody because it's not the case. Uh, no. Um, you know, when, when, when I'm when I'm on my deathbed, whenever that may be, and I look back in my life, you know, seeing guys like James Brown, Al Green, Ric Flair, Terry Funk, you know, Bruno, Billy Graham, you know, uh, et cetera, so on. These, again, these were some of the best nights of my life, and I cherish those memories. So, you know, it, it all... It's like you're mixing in something that was ugly the other night. I, yeah. I, under, I understand his friends were there, his family was there, his, his, his fans, you know, the nostalgia. But that was anti-nostalgia. It was not pleasant. It was ugly, really. And to see a 73-year-old covered in blood looking like he's going to pass out, you know, you're, you're sitting there worried that the guy that something bad was going to happen. It wasn't an enjoyable, you know, 15 or so minutes, whatever that match was. And, uh, you know, I hope he made a lot of money. I hope it's enough to sustain him. I hope he doesn't want to or need to come back. If you come back, be a manager like Tully Blanchett and Arn Anderson who know their limitations at their age. And, you know, that's, that's really... That's, what else can I say? Yeah. Well, I know I asked this earlier and you mentioned about close friends and stuff like that stepping up because family was involved here. But do you think on the other side of it, now that we're post-event, that folks around him, whether it be Conrad, his kids, whatever the case, seeing what we saw the other night, will go, hey, 
we're putting our foot down. Yeah, it might have been a moneymaker, but hey, dad, we are. That's it. Done. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know these people personally. Uh, me, me neither. So I can't. You'd like to think that they have his best interest in mind. And, uh, you know, George Bush Sr. was jumping out of airplanes in his 80s. And, it, and obviously, 90, I think. 90, he made it mm-hmm. to 90. Okay. So, you know, his family knew the dangers, but it was something the guy loved doing. And But at the same time, I'm sure with their money, prestige, and power, you know, every safety precaution was in place. Yeah. In a wrestling match, anything can happen. Greg Valentine's a dear friend of mine. He told me one day on an indie show, he climbed up the ring steps. The steps were old and rotting, and they collapsed, and he tore up his knee. Walking up the ring steps, okay? You've seen ropes break. You've seen you know, rings in bad shape. You, you've seen every possible scenario in pro wrestling. There's no saying that, it, that it's safe for a 73-year-old to do a grueling, bloody, lengthy match. I, I don't recommend it. Uh, Jimmy Valiant recently did a match at 79. But, you know, you're doing mostly shtick and, and, and comedy bits. You know, it, it's, it's a little different. And... Um, I just, what he did the other night was obviously too much for him. And he's only going to get older. He's not going to get younger. We all do. That's... Yeah. So he's not going to be better at 74 or 75. And, um, you know, there's always an exception to the rule. George Foreman won the heavyweight belt at 48. You know, Bernard, Hop- Bernard Hopkins was fighting championship level fights in his fifties. But these are exceptions. You know, the human body at some point, you know. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm in the gym. I'm not a kid. I feel the difference. I feel the difference. And, uh, and you're, and I'm not knocking you. You're not a professional athlete, but you also say you feel the difference because, and I'm sure like most people, you've adjusted your workouts based on how you feel and age and everything else like that. Am I wrong? Yeah. The, the older wrestlers, Lanny Papo's a dear friend of mine. He's like, great guy. Yeah. Lighter weights, you know, more repetitions because you have a bigger risk of hurting yourself, ripping, tearing something. So um, yeah, you, you accommodate the changes in your body. You're only human. And uh you know, the, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm a heel indie manager, you know, on, on indies in the New York, New Jersey area. I'm not even taking bumps or anything. You feel the heat, okay? When I say heat, I mean the weather, the, the humidity, the, you know, this guy, this guy wrestled a grueling 15 or so minute match the other night. And did not look good or healthy doing so. There are dangers involved, and um, I, uh, I, I hope I don't live to see that again. And if he does it again, this time I'll know not to watch. Yeah, but overall, I do want to say, well, first, thank you, Evan, for taking some time to chat about this. Oh, my pleasure. But, but I, 
I want to say also thank you to Rick because I'm taking out the other night that we saw, but thank you for what you did provide memory wise throughout the years. It's only fair to say publicly. Thank you for everything. Last steamboat is wrestling elevated to art. You could take you could take any critic of pro wrestling. It's silly. It's goofy. That was art by any standards, and not everybody can elevate wrestling to art. Rick Flair did did past tense. Keep it in the past tense, Rick. And uh, you know, I just I just want to briefly. Uh, Mention if you want to read about Rick and some of these other guys. I'm the senior editor at Pro Wrestling Stories, and I'm sure we'll be talking about this and our wrestling and everything coast to coast. We do a podcast as well. You've been on it, and um, yeah, I uh, it was a it was a tough weekend. Vince Vince with with his tractor and you know pull up the ring it's like his nightmare vision was finally realized wrestling was turned into a cartoon and then we had the sad spectacle of rick but hopefully bigger and better things and uh, ring of honor was great everybody said ring of honor their pay-per-view was great so you know i'm not one of these guys there's been no good wrestling since the territories believe me I love New Japan, Ring of Honor, AEW, support the indies, and even occasionally WWE when they, you know, do it old school, which is few and far between. But Cody and Seth Rollins was art. It was art. Yeah. I'll put it this way, as far as the art to put a bow on this from my side. When it's good, it's great. But when it's bad, boys are the shits. Oh yeah, and and I'll tell you, I've seen I've seen legends on the indie circuit, and uh, you know I've been there, you know, before the rings even set up, and I, I'll hear them say, you know, no bumps, no bumps, you know, because they know that they're, they're they're not what they were, and uh, at some point you have to just say, I mean, unfortunately, and let me throw this in, because there's no pensions, four hundred one ks health benefits. Some of these guys need to be out there. They need that payday. I, I saw a video the other night with uh, Virgil in, a, in his apartment, and it was, it was sad the way the guy's living, you know, and um, sometimes, I mean, book these guys for autograph appearances, not, not, not uh, in ring in their 60s and 70s. It's, at some point, you got to say enough is enough. Well, let me ask you this, because I know this to be true, and it's all kind of on that same boat. And I know with AEW, because I know some folks in the office, and it's been talked about publicly, that they are treating the talent as employees, that there's benefits and, you know, paydays and all what they're, you know, it's a different structure. Sure that's everyone, I'm, I think. Yeah, it's everybody. It's a different structure where WWE, they say you're an independent contract, but that whole thing, but there's no benefits and 401 and all that kind of thing. Do you think the business will change to where they can have a benefit package for everybody across the board? Well, I think think that um, as TV performers, 
these guys should be in Screen Actors Guild. Every every bit that they do, you know, every angle, they're acting, they're memorizing lines, they're performing. So um, I think they should be in Screen Actors Guild and have insurance and um, and have you know and have some kind of pension and benefits. So I think there's ways for for this where it could be done. Um, but trust me, just because you're on TV does not mean that you're you're rich. Yeah. You know, the, the ROH guys and a lot of these guys were not getting rich. Uh, we were talking about that the other night. So, um, you know, watch Nigel McGuinness's uh, documentary. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's not glamorous. Uh, you know, WWE, you know, that top couple of dozen guys are making good money but the, but the rest of the card isn't yeah and, and, and what about the hundred plus that they future endeavored so uh you know the, the average nfl play is there for three years better not piss away your money same thing could be said in wwe most of these guys are not going to be there forever you know the randy orton's and the uh, roman reigns with where well, you're there 10 15 20 years you know that, that's not a given for, for most of these people. So you have to make your money, save your money, invest your money. And uh, because you're still independent contractors and, you know, it's on you. At some point, you're going to be back to uh, that bingo hall or a high school gym, unfortunately. And uh, you better have invested your money well. To quote Jesse Ventura, when it comes to that, topic when he came back from doing predator and all that the two movies back to back and signed back on with vince for commentary for saturday night's made event he goes because obviously jesse was known for pushing for a union but when he came back when nbc was like where's ventura we bought this property with ventura on commentary jesse has stated because told vince and all he goes hey I got my union. These guys are too stupid to get their own or get together to start one. That's on them. So think of it that way. Uh, wrestling needs to be unionized and uh, working the indies, the low level that I that I do, that I have. It, it's basically pay as you will. Okay. The, the Oh, we had a bad house, you know, you know, take some, uh, take, take a couple of francs and some beer or whatnot, you know, you know, or uh, I had an experience. I booked Johnny Valiant as a legit, as a legit manager. I booked him as his agent and manager into a main event on an indie in New Jersey. He was promised a certain amount of money. Place was packed. Johnny versus Snooker in the main event. They, again, they were older at the time, in their 50s. They did the best they could, but on a good match, you know, despite physical limitations. The promoter, after the match, oh, you know, guys, it wasn't a great house. Can I give you this? And I was like, no, no. Give them what you promised them. Give them what you promised them. Yeah, you agree to X and stick to X. Exactly. exactly. It wasn't a bad house. The place was packed. You know, it's just, you know, a promoter trying to rip off a legend. So I stood my ground. I got him his money. 
and he was never booked there again. Okay, and that's the business. If you had a union, you could say, wait a second, why is this guy paying me less than I was promised? Why is this guy not booking me because, you know, I, I, I demanded my the exact dollar, not a penny more than what I was promised? I mean, a union is needed in wrestling. Yeah. You have ruthless corporate people in this business who are making millions upon millions of dollars and ruthlessly laying people off. These these guys need some kind of protection. And um, you know, what if uh, what if you're a woman wrestler and you don't want to dress like a stripper and you and you stand your ground and and oh, you're not sexy enough. We don't want you. I mean, I'm talking any promotion. You know. That workers should have rights. Workers should, a union is necessary and it's, it's a long time coming. And unfortunately, the guys who are on top who are making great money, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to stand with the guys who, you know, so that's part of the issue. And it's always been part of the issue. And they'll even snitch them out if uh, somebody's talking unions. So... Hogan. Brutal business. Brutal business. Yeah. I'm a fan of Hogan, but speaking of snitching on terms of the union discussion, I know for a fact he, he did so. But that's here and there. there. Evan Ginsberg, Wrestling Coast to Coast, ProWrestlingStories.com. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's always fun. You, you do a great job, by the way. Appreciate it. This brand is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne, and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and special seasonal gift sets. But also, let's not forget large orders for party favors by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansoapery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansoapery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. And don't ever forget, I love you.